<clears throat> Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll be focusing on verses 26 through 40 of Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'll be reading from verse 26 of chapter 8 through to verse <clears throat> 9 of chapter 9. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. <clears throat> and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen, amen. amen. Please be seated. 
So in today's text, we really, we stand back and look at this text. What we're seeing is a story of God's great love, power, and providence. Christ does this great work. Jesus is the one doing this great work in and through Philip and the eunuch and their respective pasts leading to this monumental encounter that stands as a wondrous example of God's great power and His providence, meant to encourage us and all the saints throughout history. As we go through the text, we'll look at Philip's obedience, we'll see God's providence in multiple different situations or moments in this situation, we'll see Philip's evangelism, we'll see how discipleship begins, and then we'll see Philip's miraculous ministry continuing And of course, as usual, some questions to examine ourselves and see how the Lord may bless us in our lives today through this. You'll see there a map in your sermon notes, and sorry, there's a paucity of sermon notes today, we had a little printer issue, Uh, but the map there shows you the path from Jerusalem down to Gaza, and then back up the coast through Azotus, Joppa, and Caesarea, which is probably where uh, Philip would have ended up preaching along the way, and you'll notice... In future chapters, that's where Peter ended up. So it may have been kind of an initial presentation of the gospel to this region that Philip accomplished. So let's look at Philip's obedience. The text says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. So Philip's been in Samaria. We know that. North of Jerusalem. He's preached there. We know the story of Simon the sorcerer. And now the Lord speaks to Philip through an angel and commands Philip to go south from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's down in the southern portion of Judea towards the coast. And it would have been on the way back to uh, Egypt and the Red Sea to get down to Ethiopia, which is where the Ethiopian eunuch is headed back home. Philip's time in Samaria and Jerusalem, as far as we know, is finished. Maybe he went back. There's, There's no mention of it. In the book of Acts, the next time we see him is in chapter 28 when Paul visits, when he's living in Caesarea at that time. Let's note here there are no questions from Philip, okay? What questions might you have asked if you had been there? Why leave Samaria and the thriving ministry that's going on there? It was a thriving ministry you'd been a part of. Miracles, the multitudes believed, big things are happening there in that key city. Nope, time to go. Why leave Jerusalem when they could use help during the persecution? There were a lot of difficulties going on in Jerusalem. Why leave here? Why go down this deserted, lonely road? Why, Lord? Why? No, Philip does not say why. He just goes. Commentary says he would never thought of going thither into a desert, into a common road through the desert. Small probability of finding work there. Yet thither he is sent, according to our Savior's parable, foretelling the call of the Gentiles, go you into the highways and the hedges. That's Matthew 22, 9. Sometimes God opens a door of opportunity to his ministers in places very unlikely. This is a very important point for us to note here, isn't it? Who knows everything? Not you, not me, God. Who loves us and knows what's best for us? Not you, not me, God. So we listened to him. Philip had this wisdom. And really he's in many ways demonstrating not only that kind of wisdom, but the heart and the gifts of an evangelist. That's what we're seeing here. And he's later called Philip the Evangelist. That's how he's known. 
And that makes sense based on what we see in his life, doesn't it? Philip, the evangelist. So Philip doesn't ask any questions, and associated with this is Philip does not delay. The text says, he arose and went. Commentary says, he arose and went without objecting or so much as asking, what business have I there, or what likelihood is there of doing good there? I don't know about you, but so often it seems as if in my life, instead of arising and doing what I'm told, I want to ask questions, I want to delay. Now, it's important to see that there's an angelic message here. We may not receive such specific guidance, right? This was very specific guidance that Philip received. But we can, brothers and sisters, we can expect the Lord to lead us. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. He loves us. Commentary says, we cannot now expect such guides in our way like angels. We can't expect angels. That might happen. But doubtless, back to the commentary, there is a special providence of God conversant about the removes and settlements of ministers. And one way or other, he will direct those who sincerely desire to follow him into that way in which he will own them. And so, this sincere desire to follow him precedes this kind of guidance. And so that's something worth noting here, is this sincere desire to follow him will often precede this kind of guidance. Where's your heart? Do you sincerely desire to follow him, willing to live anywhere he tells you to live, go anywhere he tells you to go, and do whatever God tells you to do? There is an interesting parallel here. I'm not quite sure, honestly, what to make of it, but it's worth noting. It was an angel that sent Philip along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza during this time of persecution, yes? Similarly, about 33 to 36 years earlier, and the timeline is debated, an angel had directed Joseph to take newborn Jesus from Jerusalem to Egypt to avoid Herod's persecution, likely along this same path from Jerusalem down the road to Gaza into Egypt. So a couple of things to note here. When the Lord reveals his will to us, brothers and sisters, it is folly to question him and to delay Wisdom resides in immediate and unquestioned obedience when God gives you a specific command. When God gives specific commands, he calls for immediate and unquestioned obedience. And and immediate and unquestioned obedience is for God alone. Next, our view of usefulness and of opportunity is finite. It is limited. Our view of our own usefulness and of where opportunity will be, it is finite, is limited. God alone knows where, when, and how he will put us to his service. God alone knows this. It was the Lord's providence to create a wilderness road meeting between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, if you think about it, this eunuch had been to Jerusalem. He could have heard the gospel there. He could have, there were, there were ministers there. But the Lord chooses this providential moment to bring the gospel to this man and to bring the gospel to the entire kingdom of Ethiopia. Church history records the impact of the gospel and the early spread in northeastern Africa, in Ethiopia and Sudan. It was fun when we went to South Sudan looking at the history of this region and discovering that the 
gospel message had come and really spread and deeply influenced Christian civilization in this area when Europeans were still living in hosts of darkness. And so it's a beautiful thing to see the way the Lord chose to bring the gospel to northeastern Africa. He could have done it many ways, right? But he chose to do it in this wilderness road meeting and to show us that he knows how to bring the gospel to where he's going to bring it. And it also emphasizes to us, again, this great promise of global distribution of the gospel. All right, next. God's providence uh, demonstrated in verses 27b through 29. I've already gotten ahead of myself a little bit. Let's hear these verses. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So think about Philip. He's a man like you and me with sin and certainly probably had doubts. And so when he's on this desert road, he's making his way down there. Apparently he's walking. Maybe he had a donkey. In due time, the Lord shows him his next opportunity for the gospel. But he had to steal his mind, didn't he? He had to have faith and patience along that road. Ephesians 2.10, I think, presents to us uh, a deep spiritual principle for us to hold on to. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it seems as though Philip was walking in this confidence as God called him forth. When the Lord commands us into the desert, patience and faith control our mind, so we look for the good work God has prepared for us to walk in. And behold, you see that at the beginning of that? And behold, that'll be the response of our hearts. Behold! Every desert can be turned into a stream by the Lord. We can't just walk by what we see. Behold will be our heart's response as the Lord leads us into each new good work for him and his kingdom. And you see, this is the day-by-day leading of the Holy Spirit that we want to have as a part of our own lives. Philip wasn't concerned uh, at this point, apparently, with the long-term plan. He didn't say, but am I going to settle down and have some daughters who prophesy, which is what ended up happening. He just went where God told him to go day by day. Can we have that same kind of faith walking day by day in the day by day, moment by moment, leading of God's Spirit? Walking in the Spirit is how the Scriptures call that. So about this Ethiopian man, let's think about these details and the the beautiful, again, the level of providence that we see here. God's foreordaining plan. So he's a eunuch, and that's worth noting, which would have made him an outcast in Jewish life. And the commentary says it's a term that literally denotes a male who has been rendered infertile through castration. Many eunuchs were slaves, and eunuchs were stigmatized for life as a result of their castration. While they were ridiculed, they could achieve high office, particularly in oriental courts, often as the officials responsible for the harem and raising the children, a fact that made the term eunuch a virtual synonym of court officials. Now, this term, though, it can also be used for a person who abstains from sexual activity. So while literally it has that meaning, it's sometimes also used for someone who chooses to abstain from sexual activity. 
Next, we see that he's not only a eunuch, but that he is Ethiopian. So this makes him a Gentile. And if you recall your uh, geography, this is across the Red Sea. Uh, the southern end of the Red Sea has, uh, comes near to Ethiopia. And he could re reach Ethiopia by going across the little um, bridge, land bridge there on the northern edge of the Red Sea and then coming down through Egypt and Sudan, or he could go over water. The commentary says this region was called Cush. Classical authors use the term Ethiopia for the cultures of Cush, Miro, and Aksum, the modern states of Sudan and Ethiopia. The Ethiopian language is a Semitic language, and thus it's related to Hebrew and Aramaic. Ethiopia, Nubia, which is another name for that region, became an independent kingdom in 1650 BC, but came again under Egyptian rule 100 years later. Ethiopians fought in the army of Xerxes when he invaded Greece, and Greek explorers visited Ethiopia since the 6th century. The queens of Nubia used the title Candace, often misunderstood by ancient authors as a personal name. The caravan trade allowed the close contacts with the Ptolemaic and Roman Egypt. In the first century AD, there were regular contacts between Ethiopia and Rome. And in 23 BC, the Romans sent a military expedition to Ethiopia. And Philo asserts that the Jews of Egypt lived as far as the boundaries of Ethiopia. So for an educated individual of that time, Ethiopia was a place that was known. It was a culture and a kingdom that was known in that region. Now, <clears throat> in this kingdom, this man had great authority. You can kind of imagine maybe kind of like Joseph had great authority in Egypt. And he was also very highly trusted. You know, he wasn't one of those people who gained his position because his granddaddy gave it to him. He also was trusted. How do we know? Because he had charge of all the treasury of the queen who's called Candace. Maybe that was her name. Maybe it was a title. The commentary says he was in charge of her entire treasury. He was the court official who was responsible for the financial affairs of the queen and thus probably of the Ethiopian state itself. The fact that he undertook the long journey from Nubia to Judea suggests that he was a person of means. So, so again, Philip, go into the desert to meet perhaps the most influential person in this kingdom. And there, in another commentary is made mention of the Queen of Sheba and the influence via Solomon that would have been present. And so the knowledge of the one true God had likely come into this region through that, at least that influence at that time. Now, we know something about his heart. We know something about what's important to this Ethiopian eunuch. And what this gets at is God, his work in this man's life, not only as an Ethiopian eunuch with great authority and great trust in this kingdom, but what's going on inside of him? He traveled to Jerusalem to worship. He was on his way home with unanswered questions, right? He, he'd gone to worship, but he's still seeking. Commentary says this implies that the Ethiopian was either a diaspora Jew who might have been castrated at some point, perhaps as a slave, a proselyte who is described as eunuch on account of his position at the royal court, or a Gentile firmly tied to Judaism. He visits Jerusalem in order to worship Yahweh, and he reads Isaiah. So again, consider the great providence of God 
in this man's life and in his itinerary to put him there on this road at the same time with Philip. So not only does Philip link up with someone on this desert road, someone he can share the gospel with, but he meets up with a very influential man from an important kingdom, and this man is seeking God. His heart has been plowed up by the Holy Spirit already. So let's look at Philip's evangelism. Now, look, have you ever had an opportunity? Let me just pause and and stop for a second. Have you ever had an opportunity to talk with someone like this? Right? This is how we want to be praying, right? God, plow up the hearts of the people around us. Plow them up, Lord, so that evangelism is this invited, this desirable, this easy, where they have their Bibles open and they want to know what the Bible means and we have an opportunity to walk through with them. And they're humble. They, They invite us to come alongside them and want us to teach them the Bible. So Philip has this experience, and it's another example of what Jesus is doing in and through this situation. And and again, we want to be encouraged to pray to Christ to do this today, to grant us the opportunity to participate in these types of events today in our lives. All right, so to the text, verses 30 through 37, Philip's evangelism. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, so what do we see here? Well, we see first that Philip is eager to obey the Lord's command. And what the command was from the prior verse, it said, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip, he's being led by the Lord, first by an angel, but now the Holy Spirit has spoken to him and pointed him to this specific man. And what does Philip do? He runs, he overtakes. It's another example of his immediate, unquestioning obedience. And this is the point here where I want to have us hear the importance of walking in the Spirit moment by moment. I mean, it very well could have happened if Philip was anything like me, that he could have been going, I am hot, and I am thirsty, and I am lonely, and, and was that an angel that talked to me, or was, that, was I imagining things? What is going on? And the chariot just goes right by. And I have no heart or no ear or no faith to even hear from God at that moment. Not Philip. Philip is looking for the next good work that God would lead him into. And this is a part of walking moment by moment, day by day, in the Spirit. Then another great providence occurs. What is this man doing? Is he sleeping? Is he napping? Is he arguing with the driver? Is he reading some text in some strange, obscure a language about some ungodly philosophy? No. <laughs> he is reading a book, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, 
as Philip approaches him. So that's our first introduction to the providence. Now remember, no New Testament yet exists. So this Ethiopian seeker is reading the only Bible available at that time, and it's another example of his prosperity because these types of parchments would have been expensive, difficult to obtain. So then Philip gets there and he sees what's going on. He, he notices that apparently the man's reading aloud or he tells him that it's Isaiah. Philip asks the first key question of evangelism. It's, it's instruction for us in our evangelism. Not only immediately obeying God, not only walking in the Spirit and keeping our eyes and ears open for opportunities that God leads us into, expecting He's given us a mission, expecting He's going to plow hearts before us if we want to go into situations to preach the gospel, expecting He's going to do this, then you actually have to be an evangelist when you get there. And he asks the first question, do you understand what you're reading? This is the first question of evangelism, understanding. Has the Ethiopian grasped grasped what the text actually means, what it's actually saying. Commentary says, note, what we read and hear of the word of God, it highly concerns us to understand it, especially what we read and hear concerning Christ. And therefore, we should often ask, our, ask ourselves whether we understand it or not. Have you understood all these things? And have you understood them aright? This is perhaps the first and most important question as we Anyone comes to the Bible, any text of Scripture, do you understand its meaning? Back to the commentary. We cannot profit by the Scriptures unless we do in some measure understand them. And blessed by God, what is necessary to salvation is easy to be understood. <clears throat> it's not complicated. It's not super advanced information that we need to understand. What happens next? Well, this educated... <coughs> Wealthy, powerful, think about that, educated, wealthy, powerful, influential leader, Ethiopian man humbly admits that he cannot understand the text unless someone guides him through the text. His humility is on display. That's what God does when he's working in people. He makes us humble for his word. He makes us aware we need teachers. So, this is the essence, the next essence of evangelism, or this is the essence of evangelism, and it's the next step, and that is guiding the hungry to an understanding of the Bible. That's, that's, that's evangelism. Guiding the hungry to an understanding of the Bible so then, so then they can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So this gives us a, a simple understanding of evangelism. So this humble, eager Ethiopian doesn't just say, yeah, I need a teacher, but he says, hey, hop up here with me into my chariot. Never met this guy. Never seen him before. Who, who is this person? Is he coming to rob me? He just invites him right up there to, to teach the Bible to him, right into his chariot. I think it's worth remembering the bad soil of Simon the sorcerer here, right? Philip, it's not too far in his past where he baptized somebody that apostatized, probably. I mean, there's some debate on that, but that's probably what happened. Now contrast here the good soil of this Ethiopian man. Humble, he's eager, he's searching, he's in the scripture, he invites, he invites the help. Commentary says about the Ethiopian eunuch, he speaks as one that had very low thoughts of himself and his own capacity and attainments. He was so far from taking it as an affront to be asked whether he understood what he read, though Philip was a stranger, 
on foot and probably looked mean, which many a less man would have done and have called him an impertinent fellow and bid him go about his business and what was it to him? <laughs> that he takes the question kindly. He makes a very modest reply. How can I understand? We have reason to think he was an intelligent man and as well acquainted with the meaning of Scripture as most were, and yet he modestly confesses his weakness. Note, those that would learn must see their need to be taught. Just another example of what God is doing in this, in this man's life and what God does in the heart and mind of anyone that he's bringing to himself, anyone that he's making like Jesus. Next, we see another grand providence here. The sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ is the very theme of the text in Isaiah being read by the Ethiopian man. Now, we know that any text, if you study it long enough, eventually you're going to find this thread that takes it to Jesus anywhere in the Bible. But this one you don't have to search. It's right there before you. It's a key text in the Old Testament. But he doesn't know who the text is describing. So apparently he's been musing over this. He wants to know. He's in the Bible. He's curious. God's worked in him. He wants to know the meaning of this text. And, and perhaps he was praying, God, could you send me a teacher? Who knows what he had prayed? And here comes Philip. And so what does the text say? I mean, I would hope that any of us, right? He did, God did not give Philip a curveball here on this one. This was a nice, easy, lofted, easy one to hit right here when he walked up to this text. I hope that any of us would be able to preach Christ from this text. It says, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? Commentary says, the passage that the Ethiopian had been reading is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, which is quoted here following the Greek translation. These lines belong to the larger context of Isaiah chapter 52, 52, starting at verse 13, through to chapter 53, verse 12, which speaks of a servant of Yahweh who suffers intense humiliation and affliction, who is deprived of justice, and who is treated like an outcast. He suffers willingly, silent like a lamb about to be slaughtered, without complaint, not opening his mouth. He is killed. His life is taken away before he can have descendants, and he is buried. However, he is eventually vindicated by God and exalted and honored even by kings. So Philip, we're told, begins right there at that verse and preaches Jesus to this Ethiopian seeker. He starts at that verse. It says, beginning at this scripture, preach Jesus to him. So the suggestion there is that there were other scriptures that he went through to show Jesus as the Messiah. This was likely the fruit of Christ's instruction to his apostles where he had opened up the Old Testament to show them all the messianic prophecies about himself. What we're studying in Christian Instruction Hour right now about how to go through the Old Covenant writings and demonstrate all the messianic predictions and show that Jesus is the Christ. Remember Luke chapter 24? Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I, while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses, and the prophets and the psalms concerning me, right? So this is after he's been crucified, after he's been resurrected, but prior to his ascension going on. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Philip is living this out right here with this eunuch. He's having an opportunity to tell this Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. He is the second person. He certainly didn't use this kind of language, but he is divine, he teaches him. Commentary says, Luke points out that Philip began with the Isaiah text, explaining the life, suffering, and death of the servant before proceeding to explain the connections with the life, suffering, and death of Jesus in terms of being the good news. Since Jesus himself had described the purpose of his life and death in terms of the servant of Isaiah 53, and we see that in Mark chapter 10, the connection between Isaiah's servant and the life and death of Jesus would have been recognized in the early church right from the beginning. So this is something that would have been very familiar to Philip as he hears this text, as he goes to Isaiah and he has an opportunity to tell him about Jesus fulfilling this text. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Now, the evangelistic interaction closes with the Ethiopian's newborn faith expressed faith, right? Faith is always working, expressed in an eager desire to obey. The question comes, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Again, you notice it's a humble question. He said, he's not demanding it. He says, is there anything that hinders me? He's willing. He desires to obey, but he wants to know, am I a candidate? Am I a valid candidate for baptism? Is there anything that should keep me from being baptized? And we should see another providence here. This is a desert, by the way, right? But the Lord provides regeneration from above by His Spirit. And as they're going along the road, about the same time, there's some water. There's some water over there at just the right time. And the commentary says, Thus God, by hints of providence, isn't that sweet? By hints of providence, which seem casual, sometimes puts His people in mind of their duty, of which otherwise perhaps they would not have thought. And so for those who note providences, we will have providences to note. And that isn't just when we look back as those who understand history in terms of providence, but it's those who are living in, in the world of providence, in the world of God's hand at work everywhere around us. We will see it if we will look for it. I want us to also see here how Philip has connected baptism with faith. For a new believer, baptism is connected with faith. Philip's preaching included faith in Christ and it included water baptism as a part of the first expression of that faith in Christ. There, there was no pine cone to throw in the fire, so to speak. It was get baptized. You believe? Okay, show it. Get baptized. The eunuch is aware of this first duty as a believer through whatever preaching he had received from Philip. Now, the commentary says, in the solemn dedicating and devoting of ourselves to God, it is good to make haste and not to delay, for the present time is the best time. So the same kind of immediate and happy obedience that we see from Philip, we also see showing itself in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Those who have received the things signified by baptism should not put off receiving the sign. The eunuch feared lest the good affections now working in him should cool and abate and therefore was willing immediately to bind his soul with the baptismal bonds unto the Lord, that he might bring the matter to an issue. 
What does Philip say? He does ask a question. He asks to assure that the Ethiopian believes in Christ. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. Now, I can't help but wonder if maybe at this point Philip's thinking back to his, his interaction with Simon the sorcerer. We don't know. But, but we want to see what he's connecting. There's two things that get connected, right? First he asked about understanding. Now he references his heart. Evangelism goal. Evangelism's goal is to lead others to both true biblical understanding of Christ, who he is, what he did, where he is, what he's doing, and a heart faith in Christ where you entrust yourself to him. Both of these things. To know Christ, to trust Christ in order to go on to lovingly obey Christ. Commentary says he must believe with all his heart, for with the heart man believeth not with the head only by an assent to gospel truths and the understanding, but with the heart by a consent of the will to gospel terms. And this should remind us of the parable of the sower, yes? And the way the Lord works in the good and and in the heart that comes to saving eternal faith, God has worked in them this kind of faith. Not just intellectual assent, but the combination of the head and the heart coming together. Not like falling on the rock and then springing up for a little while with some form of belief, but then dying because of a lack of moisture when tempted. Not like the seed that fell amongst the thorns and was choked out when it too sprang up, choked out by the cares of life and the pleasures of this world. Not like that, but like the good soil that comes up, the seed that comes up and what? Bears fruit. Bears fruit. That's what he's, that's what he's looking for. And the first fruit that we see here in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch is he says, may I be baptized? Commentary says he was, oh no, let's look here now, his simple confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Could you say that? I mean, the, the young children here could, could probably understand the basics of that, right? Could everyone here say that? I, with all your heart, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that? It's not, it's not a long-winded confession. No long-winded confession is necessary here. No in-depth, theologically nuanced conversation is needed. He doesn't take him through some long catechumen class. Philip has explained the needful aspects of the good news. And the Ethiopian understands and believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Commentary says he was before a worshiper of the true God so that all he had to do now was to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. He believes that Jesus is the Christ, the true Messiah promised, the anointed one. That Christ is Jesus, a savior, the only savior of his people from their sins. And that this Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he has a divine nature as the Son is of the same nature with the Father. And that, being the Son of God, Son of God, He is the heir of all things. This is the principal peculiar doctrine of Christianity. And whosoever believe this with all their hearts and confess it, they and their seed are to be baptized. 
So he gives this simple, beautiful confession. What happens next? Well, I think a good way to describe what happens next is that discipleship begins. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. For this adult man, baptism marks the transition from evangelism to discipleship. Think about that. For this adult man, baptism marks the transition from evangelism to discipleship. He expresses his newborn faith in Christ via submitting to water baptism, representing his commitment to gladly follow Jesus and be sanctified into his likeness. It's a meaningful expression of a lifelong commitment to be, to be sanctified, to be a follower of Jesus, to be made like him. Philip obeys Christ. The eunuch is not the only one who obeys Christ. Philip obeys Christ and baptizes this man who has believed. Commentary says, Observe, though Philip had very lately been deceived in Simon Magus and had admitted him to baptism, though he afterwards appeared to be a no true convert, yet he did not therefore scruple to baptize the eunuch upon his profession of faith immediately without putting him upon a longer trial than usual. If some hypocrites crowd into the church who afterwards prove a grief and scandal to us, yet we must not therefore make the door of admission any straighter than Christ has made it. They shall answer for their apostasy and not we. It's a really important point. And I'll just say, because sometimes we are teaching people to doubt by holding off baptism or perhaps holding off church membership, or in some circles, holding off communion, instead of receiving them into the fold. So we have to be very careful about that. Now let's look at this text, Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15. I'm going back. This is the section. This whole section is not quoted, but this is from the opening part of this section about the servant in Isaiah, from chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. I think it's a helpful commentary uh, from Matthew Poole, what he has to say about this. And, and I've got to admit, and maybe, you know, if you're honest, it, was, it happened to you too. When you read this text, sometimes you can care more about the implications of the mode of baptism than the wondrous vanishing that took place where God just transported Philip from one place to another. And your mind is caring more about whether this proves immersion or not. Listen to what Matthew Poole says. In hot countries, this was usual to baptize by dipping the body in the water. And to this, the apostle alludes when he tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6.11 that they are washed. But God will have mercy and not sacrifice, sprinkling being as effectual as washing and as significative also, representing the sprinkling of the blood of the Paschal Lamb, of which we read in Exodus 12.3, which pre-signified the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus that Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And our hearts must be by it sprinkled from an evil conscience, Hebrews 10.22. It is not the more, listen, 
It is not the more or the less of the outward element which makes the sacraments effectual. That they are effectual only as they are God's appointments and attended upon according to his will. So, the conversation about mode of baptism is not unimportant. It is an important conversation. But probably more important is the humility with which we address that conversation and the way we deal with one another in the context of that conversation. All right, next. You can't go through this text and not kind of go through the mode of baptism point. <clears throat> what happens next? Well, God, the Lord Jesus Christ continues doing what he's been doing in Philip's life. The miraculous ministry continues. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This is a shocking moment. <laughs> and, I mean, you would think that Luke would at least say, wow, or can you believe this? He just tells the story, right? But this is a wow moment. Philip vanishes before the Ethiopian eunuch's eyes. The eunuch sees him no more. Gone. Very strange things, brothers and sisters, happen in the Bible sometimes. We're reading the other day in Chronicles, and David's in trouble because he takes the census, and, and he sees, what does he see? An angel in the air, standing in the air between heaven and earth with a drawn sword over Jerusalem. David sees this. Others see the angel. Strange things happen in the Bible, brothers and sisters. The reality that we walk about in and the things that we see do not define everything that's going on in reality. So here's a question you've heard me ask it before and we'll be asking it many times as we go through the book of Acts. Does the Lord still do miracles? We have to say yes. The Lord still does miracles. Has God changed? No. Has his commitment to his kingdom's expansion in this earth, has it changed? Has his commitment to his glory changed? Has his commitment to his people, to his church changed? Has his commitment to his victory diminished? Have any of these things diminished? They have not. And the miracles that he does are expressions of his commitment to these things. These, this commitment remains the same. So, so some practical questions, you know, kind of skipping to the end. I have to admit, the other day I asked God that I would speak in tongues. Have you ever asked God that you would miraculously speak in tongues? I'd like to be able to speak foreign languages miraculously. Have you ever asked him for that? Well, we, do, we are told in scriptures you do not have because you do not ask. Now, I don't know if God will give it to me, but I know it is a gift that God can give. The miraculous gift of tongues still happens in today's world. And there's other miracles that we can ask for as well. Other gifts that we can ask for as well. He may or may not give them, but we can ask. All right. Look at the outcome of conversion and baptism in the Ethiopian eunuch. And, you know, again, is this your life? What did he do? He went on his way, grumbling and complaining. He went on his way, angry that Philip was gone. He went on his way, counting his money. He went on his way, rejoicing. He was rejoicing in the forgiveness of sins. 
He was rejoicing that the Messiah had come. He was rejoicing that God had brought him a messenger to explain the scriptures to him. He was rejoicing. Well, let's go to the commentary. He rejoiced, one, that he himself was joined to Christ and had an interest in him. And two, that he had these good tidings to bring to his countrymen and a prospect of bringing them also by virtue of his interest among them into fellowship with Christ. For he returned not only a Christian, but a minister. Now, I remember when I first became a Christian, like if you were around me for more than 30 seconds, you were going to hear the gospel, right? And, and I, I probably need to get some of that back, okay? Like I remember talking to my mom on the phone, <clears throat> telling her all about the gospel and how God had changed me. And she's like, oh, honey, you've always been a Christian. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, this is, this is he's joyful. He's looking forward to his new life and the opportunity to go and explain the gospel to all of these people in his life. Well, Philip has a new chapter now. The Holy Spirit, we're told, the Spirit of the Lord. So this is advanced transportation methods, which are, you know, we can talk about the physics later. I don't know. I mean, there's been movies made about this kind of stuff, right? This is an astonishing, immediate transport from one place to another. Have you ever asked God to do that for you? Like, I haven't either, but... I mean, I don't know if God still does this. If you find a story, I tried to research stories of miraculous transportation. I mean, there's stories of miraculous tongues, right? I couldn't find any. I don't know if this type of miracle still happens. This is astonishing. He didn't need a plane ticket, train ticket, boat ticket, carriage ticket. God just took him. And this is one way to discover what your next location should be, is to just find yourself there. That's what God did. So this man, Philip, is so open to God. He just takes him. Now this place of Zotus, it's worth noting. Again, I'm not sure what to make of this other than the victory of the gospel over all of God's enemies. The Azotus in the New Testament era is the name for Ashdod. And you Bible scholars will think of tumors and, and Dagon falling to the ground with his head coming off. This is the coastal Philistine city infamous for its suffering with tumors when they took the Ark of the Covenant. Their god Dagon was destroyed and their people endured great suffering until they were humbled and returned the Ark and said, your God is more powerful than our God. Well, Philip's on the way to tell them that. So he continues his ministry of evangelism. He preaches all the way from Azotus to Caesarea on the sea. That's what we're told. So he makes this coastal trip all the way back up this kind of circuit from Jerusalem down the Gaza road probably basically to Gaza we don't know how far he got and then he was transported to Azotus and from Azotus probably went through Joppa and then from Joppa made his way probably up to Caesarea probably preaching in those cities along the way and here's where he is by the time of Acts 21 on the next day we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven, so that stayed with him his whole life, one of the seven, and stayed with him. So Paul and his companions stay with Philip later on during Paul's ministry. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So he was blessed with daughters who loved the Lord and who were faithful. The commentary says, But Philip, wherever he was, would not be idle. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, and there he settled. For it says that we find him in a house of his own. He that had been faithful in working for Christ as an itinerant at length gains a settlement. 
So we have another faithful example before us in Philip and also the Ethiopian eunuch. We've seen faithful examples all, along the way already with, with Barnabas and Philip and Stephen and the Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to be moving into the life of Paul as we go on. So, what a wonderful story, yes? Isn't it good to remember who God is and what God has done in history and that He has not changed and that we can go forth in faith expecting the Lord to continue to do this same good work for His glory and that we can, we can be participants in what He's doing. All right, some questions. Are you eager to do God's will like Philip? Do you wake up in the morning excited and eager to do God's will and to find out what He's going to show you that day? Okay, if not, what might be holding you back? If that does not define you, what are the things holding you back from the simple, childlike eagerness to do God's will? Yesterday, we went fishing. Day number two of Caleb casting. And he's good. He got the cast going, you know, held the rod right, got the thing going, only didn't hook anybody, not once. And this was day number two yesterday, and he said, let's go. I said, let's go fishing. He said, can I cast? And I said, well, yes. He said, oh, Daddy, I'm so thankful I want to come hug you. Okay, this, I think, is an example of the kind of eagerness that we should have. If, you know, if that's an example of eagerness, then we should be this eager to go and fish for souls. Well, that's what Philip did. Next, are you eager to receive God's specific guidance for your life? And, you know, this text is more about the day by day, but it's about long term as well. And to trust God to let you know when you need to know each moment of the way. He may not give you, and he probably won't give you some long-term plan, you know, year by year, month by month. He probably won't do that. But he will give you day-by-day guidance. You can count on walking in the Holy Spirit. He will give you day-by-day guidance. He will give you those subjective promptings that move you according to his word to share the gospel with people. To Ask questions searching for the hungry and to be prepared and willing to sit and stop and do God's will by preaching the gospel, opening up the word and explaining Christ to someone in the Bible. So are you eager to receive God's specific guidance for your life? Another way of asking this is, do you think you might under-prioritize day by day, even moment by moment, guidance from God? I think this is... Part of the reason why life with Christ is called walking in the Spirit. Next, do you believe God still leads us in his miraculous providence? Now this, you know, we're not sorcerers and soothsayers looking for omens. That's not what this is about. Okay? But there are good works prepared beforehand for us to walk into. How do you know what a good work is? That's the next question in this section. How do you know what a good work is? It fits into the Word of God. It fits into what the Word of God commands of us. It fits into the mission that we've been given by Christ with our lives to participate in His kingdom's work while we have breath through doing His will. And are you willing to go the desert road path? You know that's a metaphor. You know, the scriptures specifically point out that this was a lonely place. Are you willing to be lonely on the path of serving God? There's various reasons why that might happen. Some of it may be your own fault. Some of it might not be. 
But in either case, are you willing to be lonely? It appears as though God was sufficient to Philip. It appears as though Philip was happy to just be on his own obeying God. Apparently, you know, eventually God brought him a wife and, and daughters. But at this point in his life, he's happy to just do God's will and be by himself in the desert. Is that true for your soul? Do you have that kind of contentment to just be by yourself and serve God? Now, I'm not calling you to go and isolate yourself. You know that. You know that. But you may have relationship failures that are outside of your hands. You may endure loneliness as a result of your love for Christ. All right, next. Would you, would you describe your, this as a habit of yours? Immediate obedience. Now, this also suggests that all of us have authorities in our life, not just Christ himself, but the subordinate authorities that he's placed in our lives. This is a convicting question, right? For me, especially when I consider the speed limit, is immediate, is immediate obedience your habit? Or is your habit to question and to delay? Now, children, this is something that your parents... Good parents are going to teach you. Good parents are going to teach you that real obedience is immediate and is glad. Real obedience is glad and immediate. And is that, is that what we're about as well? Now again, this is not to teach hastiness. This is not to teach unconsidered obedience. But once you understand do you obey immediately and gladly? Next. And if you don't, there's probably areas in your life where you know where that problem is. And you can ask others to pray for you. You can, you can cry out to God and he will help you. Next. Do you have faith and patience as you await God's direction? Right, so the, the Lord calls us into the desert in many ways. And there's a lot of times when we're waiting on things and we don't know what's going to happen. Right? And we have to have faith that the Lord himself has led us along this path. And we have to have patience to wait for him. To know that he has not abandoned us. To know that he goes ahead of us and he has good works prepared in advance for us to walk into. And we need to keep our eyes and ears open for those moments. And to trust him and to wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord is beautiful obedience. That's what Philip was doing along that road. Next, are you ready? Do you, have you made yourself ready, like Philip, to share the gospel at a moment's notice, not judging a book by its cover? I mean, if you saw this chariot and this Ethiopian, you'd think there goes another pagan Gentile who doesn't want to have anything to do with what I have to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> There's two things. Are you ready? Preparation. Do you know the word? Can you take someone into the Bible and show them Jesus from the Bible? Leading them to understand and to believe. And are you going to be careful not to judge a book by its cover? Because who knows what God is doing in that person's heart that you're engaging with at that moment. Only God knows. You may think you know, but you don't. Only God knows what's going on in someone's heart. And so we want to be... See, our default setting is hopeful. As Christians, we go out hopeful because Jesus is the reigning king. 
And he's pouring out his spirit, and he's putting his enemies under his feet. This is the world we live in, not the world of CNN and Fox News and all the lies we're hearing out there. That's not the real world. The real world is the one where Jesus reigns, and the news from heaven is always the same. Another enemy has been placed under his foot today, his feet today. So we go forward with expectation that God has been plowing in the hearts of those around us, and we look for these opportunities to speak of Jesus Christ, to speak of his glory to tell of his atoning death and the forgiveness of sins and that we can repent and be brought into his kingdom and of his resurrection from the dead and we are united with his resurrection and brought into perfect full justification and the joyful life of sanctification and service to him. We can preach this from God's word and have our eyes open to this. This should thrill you. Are you eager to do God's will like Philip? And of course the focus is on evangelism. But life is not just evangelism. There's all forms of doing God's will that he walks us through in life. Next. Do you rejoice that Christ is expressing his glorious reign in all the earth? So that's brought to us by the idea of Ethiopia and Azotus from today's text. These areas outside of the the Jewish nation. And this is what Jesus said would happen, right? This would be the progression. He's doing it. He told him it would happen. And he's doing it. Do you rejoice in this? Let the nations be glad. And this is why we're excited to be connected with uh, missions, opportunities overseas, because this whole world belongs to Jesus. It's not just America. The church is not just red, white, and blue. Right? We have got to forget that. The church is global, and we want to be a part of a global church. And even a little church like ours, we can connect in, and we can be a part of helping the other Christians all over the world as much as we can, and them helping us too, being, being a team together for the gospel throughout the world. Do you rejoice that this is happening, that he's putting his under, enemies under his feet everywhere, and that you get to be a part of it, you and your family and our church and the church in general? Next. Have you prepared yourself so that you're able to lead someone through Scripture so they can understand and believe the gospel? And I would encourage you to be able to do this from both Old Testament and New Testament texts. Okay? Can you do this? Next. Do you humble yourself and seek teachers in the word? Right? So we have, like you see me referencing commentaries all the time, we want to be humble. We want to acknowledge that if we've come up with something new from Scripture, we're probably wrong. (laughs) We need help from those who've gone before us. We need the, the pale of orthodoxy to speak to us throughout the ages. We need the help of those who've gone before us and wise Christian teachers today. Are you humble like that? Or do you think that you and your Bible can go out into your coffee table and start a church on your own? Don't try that. Um, not that God may not bless it. I mean, there's lots of churches that have their origin there. But that's not the biblical way. Okay. Do you rejoice that Jesus always goes before his people, making way for the gospel of the kingdom? I've gotten to this already, but this is what Jesus is doing. He was doing it then by his spirit and his word, and he's still doing it now. And this is who our Lord is, bringing the glory of his crucifixion before the eyes of the world. His resurrection makes kings marvel. And this eunuch wasn't quite a king But he was a leader. He was an influencer there big time in Ethiopia. So we can see shades of Isaiah 52 being fulfilled in him. Not just by the the baptism. 
So this should really thrill us. Jesus isn't asleep. He isn't bored. He isn't busy. He, he, he hasn't lost interest. Jesus Christ is on his throne, brothers and sisters, and the devil is on the run. And that's, it's been that way since then, and it, it's, it's going to continue to be that way until the, the final day. That's the world we live in. Okay, finally. Is your life one of going on and rejoicing in obedience, love, and sanctification? Is that your life? A life of joy and going on about your business joyfully unto this commitment because he'd just been baptized. He was rejoicing in the setting of baptism. He was rejoicing in the context of obedient love and service to Christ, becoming like Christ, having his flesh mortified, and, and expressing love and obedience to Christ through all the days of his life. And this is, this is our life together. This is what marriage is for, right? Marriage, is, it's not for you, right? It's to make you like Christ. It's what family's for. Kids, the family's not for you. It's a place to be made like Christ. It, this church, it's not technically for you. It's a place for you to become like Jesus, for you to become like Jesus, and for us to express the corporate identity of Christ and his ways together. So... Is that your life going on and rejoicing in ongoing obedience and love and sanctification and opportunities to walk into the good works that he has created in advance for you to walk into? Who knows what we will see? Who knows what God will do? We should pray with this kind of expectation and we should go forth in our lives looking for those good works that he's going to have us walk into, looking for those hearts that have been plowed up. Who knows what God will do next? Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you, Lord Jesus Christ, are on your throne and that you did indeed come and die for your people, raised up from the dead by the Father, ascended and enthroned forever. Mount Zion is secure and we are secure in you by your Spirit. Bless us, we pray, O God, to believe the gospel, to live the gospel, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere we go. O Father, give us hearts and minds and eyes that are eager to obey you immediately and without questioning you and to look for those hearts that perhaps you've plowed up that we might have an opportunity to share the gospel and to participate in the conversion of the lost. Oh, bless us to this end, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name.